listening to the Heavy Checklist Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Heavy Checklist Podcast. This is a miracle. I mean, the fact that we're here again, cranking out steady content. I'll tell you who doesn't believe it yet, who's too, way too skeptical. Mr. Marcus Wing. You must have been putting a bunch of other thoughts on the shelf yeah. and pulling yeah. this one down. <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. Was, yes, I definitely was. Uh, we're back, guys. And obviously, um, we've been cranking out some amazing episodes lately. And tonight is going to be no different. In fact, tonight is going to be kind of the culmination of the last couple of episodes that we've done with Mr. Mike Simpson. And it is going to be good. And... Before you get concerned or worried, no, this is not the last episode that we're going to do with Mike. In fact, like I told you before, we're working on much bigger things with Mike. In fact, a whole um, video series and potentially even an event series um, so that you guys can get more of this because it turns out you all like it a lot, just like we do. We've all had some pretty incredible experiences with it. So like always, I've got uh, my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Thompson and Big Marcus Wing. And uh, like I said, we are here with... Call me Big Marcus Wing. First time like I've it. ever it's given it stuff. just right off the bat. That, right? was, yeah. that was like super credible. <laughs> uh, it did feel credible. I, I just got say. street cred. You've earned it. Thank you. Big Marcus <laughs> Wing. Woo. And then we all, also like got it. our uh, powerful Mr. Mike Simpson, uh, NLP practitioner, um, heart math, right? Heart mm-hmm. math? Yeah. Um, uh, practitioner, uh, master and health practitioner, um, author. Um, the list goes on and on. The things that you do are pretty incredible, but I think the best way to describe you is a very gifted man. Um, in fact, so gifted that it's hard to organize and share your gifts in a way that is simple to understand. You know, uh, you do so much and you've helped, um, like I said, all of us in all these different ways that uh, for me to put you in any sort of box or category just isn't, uh, it isn't possible. The wizard, the life changer. The wizard, life changer. Yeah, the wizard. life changing wizard. There it is. There we go. I like it. How do you feel about that? Well, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Mike, obviously the last couple of episodes, you know, episode one, um, in fact, for the viewers, for those of you who haven't maybe caught up with that yet, episode one, we talked with Mike about kind of an introduction, who he is, and the title of that episode was Start Seeing Your Thoughts. And it was very powerful. Um, Some of the comments we've seen uh, were incredible. I saw one from uh, a veteran who'd had PTSD. You saw that one? I did see that. And uh, he said, you know, I've been going through years and years of therapy and all sorts of help and, uh, and stuff through the VA. And this, just hearing this, was more powerful than any therapy or any sessions I've ever had. Yeah. That's powerful well, stuff. That means a lot to me. I, yeah. I have a, a very close friend um, who's a veteran, and she's been caught in that system where at one point she was homeless on 18 different medications and a, a true veteran. And I've been able to help her, you know, heal through some of those emotional wounds. And so that, that means a lot to me. Yeah. Because ultimately why we're here, I mean, it is entertaining, you know, and it, it's interesting, but it's also effective and it's life changing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, so, we do have a lot of veterans who listen to the show. A lot yeah. of people who uh, tune in, um, my family full of veterans, my dad, uh, both my grandparents, yeah. I'm pretty much like the, the ugly duckling in the family, the only one who didn't serve. Yeah. Um, and it's just because I don't have the patience to deal with getting yelled at all day. I don't think, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, for the veterans and those listening, I think it's really important that you guys you know, pay special attention to this. In fact, maybe uh, take notes, listen to each episode a couple of times because there's some powerful things in here that might just change your life. And by might, I mean they will change your life if you implement them. Um, so episode one was start seeing your thoughts. Episode two was titled, If You Knew Me, You Wouldn't Love Me, which is uh, a very powerful concept that we kind of dove into about um, some deep 
uh, rooted kind of issues that all of us have and, and seeing ourselves that, you know, deep down inside, we're all not sure if, if, if we're going to be accepted for who we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those fears um, live within most of us, but, but not from a conscious perspective. We, we do our best to avoid thinking about that. Would you say would, at first glance, would you say I'm a confident person? Yeah. Would you say I exude confidence? Yeah. Even I had those thoughts and feelings deep, deep inside of me that I wasn't even aware of, like you said, subconsciously of, will you like me? Will you accept me? Yeah. Will you, will you bring me into your circle of friends? If I put myself out there, you know, moving to a new neighborhood when I was nine years old, that's a pretty pivotal time yeah. in a young person's life. And to leave, I think it was fourth grade halfway through the year, left everything I knew and we moved to a completely new neighborhood. It's like, Hey guys, it's me. You don't know anything about me, but I hope you like me. Yeah. It's a lot. Well, I think I want to add to that. Um, we have discussed some um, aspects of the subconscious mind. Um, time doesn't exist there. So that, that was a traumatic, significant time in your life that is still present. In the subconscious mind. In the subconscious mind. Time doesn't exist there. But you guys, oh, I got to break that down. Think about that for a second. Somewhere... You know when you open a tab on your computer, you open a bunch of different tabs, right? Yeah, that's a great idea. So you open up a computer tab, you forget about it, and you move on. Well, whatever you open on that tab is still there. And if you're playing videos or whatever you got going on, it's still going on in the background, even though you can't see it and you're not aware of it. There's been times where I bet you your computer is just an absolute mess. I bet you uh, something uh, tells me you've got a lot uh, yeah. of tabs open at once. I'm, I'm not sure quite how to take that. Are we speaking metaphorically here? I'm talking about uh, your actual computer. Okay. Yeah. You got a lot. There's a lot of tabs. I thought you were talking about my brain. I'm like, there's not a lot going on right now. No, I think, I think, I think all of our brains, I think we open up tabs like me when I was you know moving when I was in fourth grade and that's just been running in the background. And I forgot about it. I, my, my conscious brain, in fact, was like, it's not a big deal. But my subconscious brain was like, bet. Yeah. Well, it's not only running in the background, but it's, it's taking memory. So it's slowing down the processing. And it, it's affecting you in hidden ways. So why, why doesn't my computer respond when I click this button? Yeah. Because we're taxing the, the resources of the computer. It's incredible. And so what we're here to do is show you that that's happening. This is not a big, terrible, scary monster that you can't face. They're actually pretty easy little steps that you can take into closing some of these tabs, um, letting go of some of the trauma that you didn't even know was trauma, and just yeah. feeling better. So what we're going to teach you and what we've been teaching you over the past couple of episodes is how to reduce uh, anxiety. We don't like the word anxiety around here, and Michael continue to explain to you why that's not a, not a, a word that we use very often. Um, but depression, PTSD, um, just overall feelings of being overwhelmed and sadness, we can help you kind of move some of those things along so you don't have to live in those because that's no, that's no place to live. Yeah, labels come with a stigma. Yeah. And often when people accept that limitation, then it, it limits what they think is possible. So therefore it limits what is possible. And then next comes medication. Yeah. I mean, when, when you're trying to live with that narrative as good as it gets, right, that's yeah. really what that means. It's like, well, if this is good as life gets, um, then the medication is the only thing I can do. And some people will self-medicate because they don't like the medication. And, and often that starts fueling addiction. Yeah. If my life is this bad, 
and it's this bad every day, then I might as well take this because it's less bad. I don't have to feel it as much. Yeah. And so that narrative will actually fuel an addiction. It's probably safe to say that somewhere between maybe 50 and 80% of people taking psych meds, antidepressants and stuff like that potentially shouldn't be or, well, or could, or could find a better alternative. I, you know, let's just say that, you know, the medication claims to address the symptoms of a problem. Right. That's what the medication claims. Yeah. And, you know, my approach is really about, you know, why not, why not get down to the root cause? Yeah. You know, why not find out what's really going on that's creating the symptoms, you know, and then address it from that level. That's a so, better, more politically so, correct so answer here, than mine. Here's an analogy. Uh, less dicey, right? <laughs> like, let me share an analogy. If, if I'm walking around and I've got a piece of gravel in my shoe, if I'm just too busy to think about it all day long, it's, it's wearing on my foot, but I'm just trying not to think about it. It's just made the day a little harder. You know, each step has, has bothered me a little bit. And by the time I get home, maybe I want to take an Advil. And it can lessen the pain in my foot. Um, but the real solution is to, to take the shoe off and remove the piece of gravel. I like that. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. So, something that happened, sorry to cut you off. Something that happened uh, during our last two episodes is that it, it came to me that <clears throat> we were talking about how people have really traumatic, you know, uh, things that occur or they witness like overseas, right? You know, we're talking about those that are serving and even in their regular lives. Um, and maybe it seems like, you know, uh, we can't relate because we aren't experiencing those same things. But I've, I've had to say that, you know, over, over time I've learned that, you know, we all experience the same feelings. There's common ground. I mean, it may not be the extreme, sense of uh, situation, but, you know, I, I, I've known people that, you know, they were left behind at kindergarten for a half hour longer. Their mom, you know, was late or whatever. They have the same abandonment issues as somebody who their parents died in a very, uh, you know, difficult situation. It was very traumatic, but they're both, their core, they were looking for that love, approval, and respect, and we're all seeking that. I mean, we all have those same experiences. So, you know, acknowledging that, that rock in our shoe, if you will. Yeah. Um, different circumstances, it might be a bigger rock or a sharper rock or, uh, you know, very uncomfortable rock. But, you know, being able to sit here and, and talk about, hey, let's live our lives without those rocks the best that we can and let's handle it in a healthy way, I think is, is such a good thing for us. I think we just came up with the title for the episode tonight. Let's get that rock out of your shoe. Oh, yeah, that's good. That pebble in your shoe, whatever it is, we'll work on it. But that's kind of essentially what we're going to dig into tonight, right? Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about trauma. You know, someone, for example, with PTSD, maybe they witnessed something horrible or they had to participate in something that they can't live with. So the trauma from that experience, it gets encoded into the limbic system of the brain or the emotional part of the brain. So if you think about the subconscious mind, think that it's a video recorder that has the power to record every single event in your life. And not only every event, but it also records the emotions connected to those events. Now, this is really where, you know, where the, the trauma part happens, right? So when I experience something traumatic, I feel, I feel it as it happens. And then later down the road, I mean, l let me give you a simple analogy. Um, let's say that... Uh, this, this is a hypothetical, but let's just say that I, I walked into my home and it smells like fresh baked bread. And just as I walk in the home, I've just heard that, that my dad died of a heart attack. 
Well, the smell of that bread just got associated with this traumatic loss of my father. And that right there, that you could have an allergy born in that experience. And I've seen that many times where sometimes the subconscious mind will associate something horrible with something that's in the environment. And so I may literally start you know, despising the smell of fresh bread. And every time I smell it, it triggers me. And I, I find myself in the worst mood, but I may not even consciously understand why, because the subconscious mind allowed that association to take place. Which that's kind of how PTSD works, right? Absolutely. You, you know, somebody, especially like a combat vet, yeah. uh, you're overseas and a big explosion goes off and kills somebody you love. From there on out, loud noises and different things can trigger that that oh shit moment of, yeah. of a very, very traumatic time in your the, life. The sound of a helicopter. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's like that was the sound before my buddy was just killed. Yeah. And, and so here's the beauty of it. Now, so I want to talk a little bit of science here because this isn't just about hypnosis. Um, so there's some new sciences out there right now that are making some really amazing claims. And so we should bring that into the conversation so people can look into this. So th- there's an organization called havening.org. H-A-V-E-N-I-N-G, havening.org. And they're making some really amazing claims that I'm really excited about. So the claims are basically this, that through their technique, they're able to re-encode trauma that's in the subconscious mind. So can you imagine, like, if, if I get triggered on the smell of bread because of what happened with Dad, or I get triggered with the sound of a helicopter that I don't, you know, I don't have to get triggered with that old emotion because we can actually change the emotion that's connected to that memory. By having new experiences or? Not, not necessarily, but, but think of it this way. You know, if we cut the fuse off of a piece of dynamite and then you lit the fuse and it's not connected to anything, then there's no explosion after the fuse has been lit. So some sort of reprogramming. Yeah, it's reprogramming. It's, it's re-encoding the trauma. So it's, it's basically associating a different emotion that's connected to that memory. Now, I, so Dave, you know, you and I, we had a session recently. Yeah. And we don't have to get into that. You can share any part oh, you want. Oh, get into it. Let it all I'm out. I'm an open book. Yeah, I mean, share <laughs> well, <laughs> well, so so there was, you know, we don't have to be specific, but I watched your unconscious reaction to something that I brought up. And so I, I pushed it a little harder. Yeah. You know how you go to a doctor and he says, does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? Oh, yeah, that really hurts. And then he pushes again harder. Does it hurt here? Well, I was doing that with you, you know, in an emotional way to, to, to just watch your, your uh, emotional reaction. I felt it. Yeah, you did. And so I watched your whole subconscious demeanor, you know, your whole physical demeanor changed when we were pushing on that. And so I, I did a simple little exercise where I was able to move your eyes around. Do you remember that? Yeah. And, and I, I basically told you beforehand, I said, it doesn't matter like consciously, if you try to figure out what I'm doing, it doesn't matter. Right. Is this in hypnosis? No, it, it's, this was NLP. What does that mean? But uh, neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. But it's a similar concept. We're basically going to change something that's encoded in your mind. And so you were stuck. You were stuck in this mindset, and there was this really strong negative emotion that reinforced that concept. And then it was backed up with an attitude, Right. In so fact, he closed off, kind of? It not only closed off, but we actually went and located where was the energy at, and we found it where? My jaw. So his jaw, and, and when I was watching you, 
I did a little bit of hypnosis with you afterwards, by the way, and mm-hmm. I was watching the twitches. So that, yeah, it was it was even like what you just did right there. Yeah. It was there was this unconscious reaction to this attitude that's clustered with these ideas. You know, so this whole attitude is has locked you into place. I'll, I'll, t- I'll be I'll be very transparent with you guys. It's communication with my wife. So when I get home from work. Um, I'm usually pretty drained, exhausted, worn out. Um, people, you know, have a tendency to to need a lot from me throughout the day. And so I've noticed that when I get home from work, it's hard for me to want to even talk. You're to super anybody. chatty. You're yeah. just really chatty. <laughs> yeah, the furthest thing from talk. chatty. And and um, my wife, obviously, we have to be able to communicate, even, yeah. you know, bare minimum stuff. And um, it's been like this kind of our whole marriage. I've had a really hard time wanting, like, when I get home from work at the end of the day, I don't like it when my wife or anybody says, tell me about your day. I just, I just, I literally, I put a force field up and clam up and want nothing to do with that. The smell of bread. Yeah. Right. yeah. And what about trying nope, to schedule you? Scheduling. Yeah, I'm sure scheduling is probably a whole different energy somewhere. But yeah, with my wife, if she, if she starts talking scheduling with me, I literally am just like, figure it out. Talk to somebody else. Don't deal with it. Or I don't want to deal with it. And I so think this is common, by the way. I think it'd be no, I don't, awesome yeah, I don't, for I don't. everybody to hear how like you've, had a, huge you've had a long day. Yeah. You're worn out. Yeah, you're, you're and in the past. You know, we're working on this now, but you were upset that people were nickeling, diming your time all day long. You know, so you basically have given as much as you're willing to give, and so you come home with an entitlement that this is my time, my space, and don't encroach upon it. And if you try. Then, then you're going to you're going to see this sharp set of boundaries that's going to show you that that I'm closed for business. Right. Yeah. And so that's basically what I had. And and when he started asking me like, where do you feel this block? Where do you feel this tension? You just walked in the door. Your wife just started talking to you. Where Where is this at? Where are you feeling it? And I was like, and when he first asked the question, I was like, okay, this is going to be a trick question. I got to figure out where <laughs> where is it. And then instantly, I just felt as like, oh. Mike, I gotta be honest with you, my jaw is really tight right now. Like it's standing out more so than anything else. You know, I got tight muscles from working out and stuff all the time, but this was like very obviously like, Hey, it's me. I'm the one he, I'm the one he's asking about. And it, I was just like, okay, it's my jaw. And then you dove deeper. Yeah. So there's some symbolism there too. So the subconscious mind is sometimes literal, you know? So if my jaw is locked, you know, what, what is that going to prevent me from doing? Talking. Yeah. And, and if I'm clenching my jaw because I'm resentful of people taking my time, right? And so, so that's, that's his, a body manifestation of an attitude that, that is, you know, being harbored. Yeah. It's interesting because, and this is kind of diving a little bit ahead, um, but my, my mouth, my jaw is a conduit to my heart. Mm-hmm. So that's how I communicate. Obviously, you communicate through your heart and through your feelings and stuff like that. Well, with my jaw so tight... And the energy blocked up right there. I wasn't able to let the communication flow, and instead, I was using it as like a just a a big blocker. Think of a kinked hose. Yeah, exactly. Right? There's no water pressure. Yep. You know, it's like you pulled the hose around the other side, and nothing's coming out of the the yeah. end of the, the hose. And right? going back to I can't remember if it was the last episode or the one before, but the more the more of that I offered, the more nothing I offered, the more my wife clamored for more. Yeah. And so she, if I, you know, the less I talked 
the more she talked. And the more you resented her. Right. And the, the harder she tried because she was trying to get closer. Yeah. And so we've got a vicious cycle going here. Mm-hmm. Big negative feedback loop. Yeah. And, and then you're blind in that, in that pattern now. Yeah. You're, bl- you're blinded by your own focus. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was blind when I was driving on that road getting hit in the head with grasshoppers. Yeah. You know, you're, you're so focused on your own um, entitlement. Right. It's like I'm entitled to free time and I'm mad at the world because everyone has been taking my time. And so she is collateral damage to that, that attitude that is being fueled in absolute denial. I remember an analogy that I came up with similar to this is that you're going to hug your wife, right? You're home and you want to give her a hug, but you're also stabbing her at the same time. And you're like, come here, stab, stab. Yeah. Right. Cause you got nothing to give and she keeps doing the thing that you don't want to do talk and you know, I love you, hug, you know, stab, stab. Right, yeah. <laughs> you can't figure out why things are weird. Yep. And that's, the, you know, my <laughs> that's situation. Right. That's a good analogy. If I, if I didn't talk to my wife, she would literally stab me. <laughs> I right. would. She would and cut then, me. And then it goes around she and She sounds around. pretty smart. <laughs> no, she would. Yeah, she'd, she'd yeah. slice me but up. But do you ever feel that, though, when you get home and you're just like, look, I don't want to talk? Yeah. No, but, dude, honestly, my life's pretty simple. I don't have a lot of stress, like, you know, you guys do, you got all kinds of business partners and you got things and my life's very simple. So I don't, I don't really feel that much stress. Well, but, but the reality is, I mean, even the presupposition and what you say there, um, well, because I have a lot of stress, then I'm more inclined to be unfriendly to my spouse. You know, in reality, when, when I helped to reflect that back to you, to show you how you were really acting around her, how did you really feel? When we unkinked the hose and you could look into your heart and you could relate to what, what connected to your wife in the first place, and we got past the clenched jaw, what, what, what was really under there, under that story that you had been seething with? I mean, for me, it was a lot of gratitude. Um, and, you know, the original love that I had for my wife, that excitement um, to, to, to quarter like I was when we were dating. You yeah. Know? Um, and you, you seemed surprised, you know, and it took you, it, it took you a minute to yeah. really associate in and remember. Right. And it's like, because that love, that, that goodness is still inside of you. It's just buried under that, that grudge that you're carrying. Right. You know? And it's, it's this weird grudge that she didn't do anything to deserve. Yeah, that's right. It's not like she did something that made me resent talking to her. It's just, I let things bottle up so much and, and it just got to the point where it was, I thought the solution was give me my space, give me my boundaries, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make do with this little bit of you know personal time that I have. And yeah. it turns out there's way more productive things I could have been doing with your, that. Energy. Your your coping mechanism was hurting her, right? And and you were unaware of it, and your resentment was was keep, keeping that justification alive. I know she's listening to this right now, and she's like, "Wait, this is news to me." Wait, what? This is this is <laughs> yeah. all stuff that I'm still working. Sorry, on. in is, advance. Yeah, exactly. Right. This yeah. no, she. I, I hear her walking around the house listening to the podcast, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's it's uh, it's it's not a one and done thing. But I will tell you that I felt less closed off when I get home. Um, obviously we've had one session and worked through it. Uh, I don't feel that clench, like, like don't talk to me vibe. Um, changes. I'm still, I'm still not a huge chatterbox. Um, maybe that, maybe that's coming. Maybe that's not who I am. I I don't think that matters. You know, I mean, if, if you can be present with her and it's not under some veiled resentment, right then she's not going to be a chatterbox. She's going to be happy just to be with you because she feels connected. Right. And it, and it, does, it doesn't have to be a production. Yep. So, you know, like we said, it, it's ironic, isn't it, that you can come home and as long as you're not covered in resentment, 
she can calmly enjoy time with you and you're enjoying your free time too. So yeah. it, it, it's, you don't have to choose, do I want to spend time with my wife or do I want to have some time by myself? Yeah. And in reality, if, if you get rid of that resentment, you can enjoy your time with your wife and it doesn't have to be an either or scenario. Yeah, I've noticed that um, just in general, you know, when I started working with you, one of my big things was I don't like to get home at five or six o'clock in the evening because, uh, you know, I told you my line was, I always have to be going. I'm a busy body. Yeah. I have to be busy. You, you said, I'm not that kind of guy. Right. You know, I've always been when I was back in sink or swim, you know, yeah. we talked about how you defined your value by being a hard worker. You, so you would stay you at work until nine or 10. Time. <laughs> You're the guy that's always on time. Yeah, you don't want to be I late. I don't think I'm ever going to get labeled as the guy who's always wanted to be on time. <laughs> Marcus, very wise. Yeah, very wise. Do you see what I did there? Oh, though, I right? see. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good stuff. Okay. I'm, I'm, I may, I may I be looking see. at you with a blank stare, but I'm, I'm picking <laughs> like some it. stuff up. <laughs> he's, he's getting a little too good at this. He I'm is. afraid. He is. Yeah. Um, How does that make you feel, Mike? Oh, well, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's um there's there's a lot you know people like us who are entrepreneurs um it's funny because you you, we talk about the sink or swim days you remember the sink or swim days the days where if you didn't do the the whatever it was you actually sank yeah the next day was over yeah exactly like the next day wasn't happening you weren't no momentum yeah yeah uh you've been there you felt it no man no i haven't (laughs) no man no here's the thing and, 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 and I'm, I'm understanding all this stuff, but really, man, like I'm pretty simple. Like if I have a bad day, I say to hell with it and I go ride my dirt bike and then I I've check seen in you, I've seen you I'm stressed good. out about business though. In the sink or swim moments Absolutely. when it's like, I don't, I can't throw an event next month or the event it's, didn't bring in enough people. It's in the case that it, yeah, if, if, if it's not there, if it's, if it's like, okay, cool. I've got 15 gigs this weekend and I got to figure that out. Like I'm pretty cool about but that. But that's not but sink or swim. I'm talking sink or swim. I'm talking when you don't know when your next gig's coming from. Well, that's been like this whole last year. <laughs> <laughs> it's been yeah. a weird year too. <laughs> it has been a weird year. It's been a weird year. And that's a great example. Like you had the opportunity this time last year to either sink or to swim. And you posted the other day, uh, you know, on your Instagram. Um, oh, you saw that? Yeah. Okay, cool. I saw you. I saw that. All right, man. I think I liked it. You call me Big Marcus Swing. You're Big like Marcus looking Swing. at my Instagram post. Yeah, yeah, see that? This guy. I really, oh, we're going to Costa Rica. Marcus I feel like we're connecting, right man. Here. We are connecting. We're definitely connecting. connecting. It's But you had an opportunity to either sink or to swim because literally, from one day to the next, the lights got turned out on your business. And I kind of doggy paddled. You doggy paddle, and you. We all doggy have doggy paddle. paddle. That's a that's a great example. In the early days, I've doggy paddled for years. I remember literally for years feeling like I have to work until nine o'clock every night, and if I don't, I'm not going to make it. And so it's not an option. Yeah, and you were also blinded by that justification, right? And and there was also something that you gained from that behavior. So if I if I work that hard. Look, I'm the kind of person that, that works until 9 or 10 p.m. You know, so if you, if you listen to how I stated that, there's, it builds value into that. You know, so I'm basing my value on my performance. And, but what we also discovered, so there were some blind spots in that narrative, right? And the blind spots, you know, were that your wife was home and you were unavailable, and then when we got into the next phase where you weren't in sink or swim, the same thing happened. You, you came home, but you were still unavailable. Right. So, so in both cases, that, that was consistent, right, so through, through both of those eras in your life. Yeah. And so for you to be able to take note and say, okay, um, 
I can see that there's a problem here, you know. And so I guess I want to state here that the first step of change is acknowledgement. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people will use the term repentance. Like often people, they know what that term means. I mean, we do here. I've done a lot of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Over the years. Not sweeping anything under the rug. Thank you, Bishop Larkin. <laughs> so so what, what does repentance really mean? Being accountable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, acknowledging, right? But change of heart, change, right? right? So repentance means change. And what is the first step of repentance? Acknowledging. Acknowledging. You know, so Dave, with, with your wife, for you to acknowledge that, that in a way you were acting like a bowling ball, knocking over pins, mm-hmm. and, but there was some collateral damage taking place in there that you were unaware of. Right. And so awareness of that has actually changed your approach when you come home. So, so the first step in, in change is just to be aware of that. And I would even go as far as to say that being aware of a problem is 80% of healing from something. Right. Bringing it into your conscious awareness, you know, putting it on that shelf. That, well, that's that why you I tell really people acknowledge it. when they're listening, this isn't hard. No, it isn't. It's really, really not that hard of work. The hardest part or the most complicated and the part that is going to take you the longest is acknowledging and finding these, these problems. Well, it's accountability. Right. And, you know, so denial, you know, we all, what, what is denial? Let's throw that out there to talk about for a minute. I mean, you were in denial. Yeah. about how this was affecting your wife. And, and you had a story built around that saying, look how hard I work. That's the difference. You know, denial, at first glance, it's like, it seems simple. It's like, you're telling me that I've got red hair and I'm telling you I don't have red hair. Right. That's denying it. And if I yeah. actually have red hair. Yeah. But denial is much more than that. Denial is. is, you've got this story, you've got reasons, you've got um, rationale, you've got all these different things built in. Justification to yeah. say, no, 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 no. This is why I am how I am. Yeah. This is why I don't like to talk when I get home. Okay. That's better denial. So you can write this down. It's a good acronym. In fact, it would be a good title too. Denial stands for don't even know I am lying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I don't know that I don't know. And so, you know, my blinders, every story comes with a set of blinders. Right? And, and as successful as I am with the way I go about something, I could be inadvertently hurting someone else unknowingly, but I still might be very successful in the way I go about things. Yeah. I might be 80% effective in, in creating success, but what about the 20% that's, that's in the corners, you know, the, the people that I leave behind that, that I just don't realize that my approach might actually be hurting some of them. That would be decile, actually. Yeah. No, don't with even, a K. Don't even know. Well, yeah. it's I a silent K. I, yes, I, I got K. that. Kyle. <laughs> I spelled it out, and I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Sorry, you got to be a little careful. I like it. That, yeah. You know, you know that, that, that is, I don't, that's true, because you don't know that you're, that you're lying because you've got this whole, I didn't know I was lying. Yeah. I had this whole story built into the, this is the type of guy I am. Yeah. Like, this is who I am. This is how I've always been. And you're like, okay, but. No. Well, that's an identity statement. Right. When you say, hey, I'm the kind of guy that I work until 10 p.m. Right. So let's follow that narrative for just a minute. Yeah, let's so, break that down. Yeah, well, I, I want to I, because yeah. this is going to, this can tie into Hans and, and some work that we did with him on right. the last podcast. So yeah. this is really an interesting segue here. But if you have, you have defined success and you have been successful, okay, so I'm not knocking that, but you have defined success by working hard. You're right. the guy who's going to be the last one at work, and you're going to, going to solve every single problem. 
And it's just not an option to not do everything, right? And so working until 10 every night becomes your norm. And, but you might have some blind spots in there. How's, how's that affecting the wife at home? How's, how's that affecting the kids at home? And yet you're feeding on the success that you're creating. And so the narrative, um, you know, you can inhale that success, um, but being totally oblivious to, to what's happening on the other side of that coin, right? Because there are some people that are missing you on the other side of that coin. But if you come in with that mindset and you've been successful, now you're going to run a business, so you're going to demand that level of commitment that, that you use to create the success. And can you, can you see where this could collide with some of the stuff that we talked with hands with on the last session? Definitely. How, how would you see it? It's interesting because you, it's, it's the narrative that you're telling yourself. You're telling your, you're, you're living, you're living based off of whatever it is you're telling yourself. You're not living based off of what reality actually is around you. There's, there's some missing feedback, Yeah. right? And you're so busy being successful that if you're going to enforce that work ethic on everyone else, how many employees are now missing home, you know, from six to 10? Yeah. And, and while they're, they're meeting the demands that you're making because you've made the sacrifice, so they better make the sacrifice. And if they don't, what does that mean about them? Yeah. What, what is the narrative there? I did it. I made myself. I'm a self-made man. I worked hard. This didn't fall into my lap. And I think that's all true with you. Yeah. Right? I, I totally validate that point. Right. But what's the other side of that coin? A lot of that toxicity flows onto my guys. Yeah. Is this uncomfortable for you? Not at all. Dude, that's kind of cool, man. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. This is, this is, I mean, over the last year or so, I've gone through a lot of like eye-opening. This is why I kind of wanted to take a hiatus from the podcast. The reason why I took a break is because I got to the point where I felt like I wasn't necessarily being genuine. I wasn't, I wasn't lying by any means. I just, uh-huh. I got to the point where I didn't feel like I had anything to offer. I probably did, but I didn't feel like I did because I felt like I was, I was some of this stuff was starting to surface and I was like, wait a minute. I should probably work through that or I better figure out why I am this way or why I act that way, which is why we took the break, which is why I'm grateful for people like you. And ultimately you found your way to me. Yeah. But here's another phrase I'd like to throw out to think about. And I I think I've used this with you, but pain can be the catalyst for change. Yeah. Uh, That doesn't mean that it will be, you know, so I can have a lot of pain and if I'm not receiving feedback, then what's going to happen with that pain? If I have a rock in my shoe and I keep walking, what's going to happen? My foot is still going to keep bothering me, right? So I, there's, there's an element of accountability that I have to acknowledge my own accountability. So if I don't, if I don't acknowledge what I'm doing that's creating my pain, then the pain is guaranteed to continue. And it will continue as long as it takes for you to, to be open to the feedback loop so that you can make an adjustment and improve your life. Yeah. Let's break that denial part down a little bit more, if you don't mind. Decile or denial? Uh, <laughs> both. You know, I want to take both at okay. know, head on. Okay. Uh, if, if you think about it, we have this perception of ourself. So Dave had his perception of self. I have my perception of myself, right? Yeah. The mirror that then gets held up in front of us, just to, you know, clarify here, you have the opportunity to see yourself for who you really are, right? When you look in that mirror. Well, okay, let me talk about that for just a minute. 
when I work with someone, typically the first time, I'm going to shake them down pretty good. And, and they want to look away, right? They're, they're not happy typically to hear what I have to say because I'm showing them what they don't know how to see. Okay. I like that better. So that, that sounds better to me than denial, right? So in their mind, they're thinking that you're going to show them what it is they're portraying, right? Or trying to portray. Yeah. Whereas deep down, they know that it's not really the case. And so you're helping them see this thing they don't really want to see. I'm helping them see how they're contributing to their own problems. And, and even if it's born out of trauma, right? because most of it is, right? This, this mantra that we shared last time, hurt people, hurt, hurt people. people. If I'm hurt, then I'm acting in a way that might be hurting others, and I'm not even aware of it. And so I need to be aware of that, right? Because yeah. ultimately, I feel like I'm a good person. I don't want to hurt you. But why, why are people treating me this way? Why, why does everyone attack me like this? And I might literally be oblivious to the fact that maybe I'm not being very kind to those people. Back up. To, to be a hurt person and to hear the phrase hurt people, hurt people is really hard. Because you don't want to be hurt because then that well, makes no, you weak. That, and, and as a hurt person, you're already a victim. You're already somebody who's been just drugged yeah. through the mud. And so then when you hear something like Let's you're hurting it. other people, I mean, it, this is, it's a fact. The way you're putting it and the way we say it, this is true. There's a way to rephrase it where we can help people, you know, at first, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying this because I'm not trying to offend people. Well, that's I'm why saying, I I'm saying this because, because if I'm going back to what you were saying, when you introduce these ideas <laughs> to people for the first time, and if it's somebody who's been through emotional trauma, they're like, well, hold on a second, buddy, because you don't know my story. Yeah. Right? Well, it is true. So let me rephrase it. Hurt people can hurt people. Right. That doesn't mean they will, but it, it, it means that they can, and they may not even know that they're doing that. And they may have a higher likelihood. Yeah, they, they may have a higher likelihood. And the, the pain that they're carrying around will create blind spots, which will in influence them to potentially mistreat other people and not even be aware that they're right. doing that. And the reason because I, it's shrouded behind that justification. Absolutely. Does that make sense? The reason why I called that out is because I know that people listening to this, especially people with obvious trauma, whether it be yeah. emotional or physical, um, I want them to know, and this is for you, the viewers and the listeners, that if you've had you know, pain and trauma, this is not discounting the things that you've gone through. This is this is making you aware that those that pain and trauma that you've experienced isn't just living in you. Yeah. It's potentially starting to live on the people you love the most and you don't even know it. So let, let's be aware of it. Yeah, let, let me talk about the mechanics of, of embedded trauma then and typically how it works. So deep in your heart, you've got this wound that came from whatever. Okay, it's just something happened and it was traumatic. It could abandon at the grocery store for 15 minutes or, or really you got abandoned multiple times, you know, by father he didn't show up when he was supposed to take you somewhere, you know, you know, or you could be through real trauma. There's that, there's that deep wound that really did happen. So the origins are legitimate and they're valid. But what happens is um, think of how a callus forms over a blister. The blister hurts, right? But... If you keep walking on it, at some point it turns into a callus and then you feel nothing. And there's this hardened exterior that is, it really is an outgrowth to protect you from, from what's underneath. And so when we start getting into this place where we want to heal, and, and I guess this is a really good point to, to, to establish. Yeah. So the point I want to make here 
is not everyone that I work with will find their miracle or create their miracle because there are some things that they have to bring into the equation that I can't do for them. I can't just, I can't just fake someone out or sneak in the back door and have them forget about this horrible thing that happened to them when they were younger. And it may very well be and likely is horrible. But here's the problem. So I'm carrying the wound and then I've got a callus of resentment that's now grown around the wound. So now I'm angry. You know, and not to pick on Hans here, but when we talked about when we talked about people, and you remember his reference that they can be savages. savages. But it wasn't. He didn't just say the word. Did you see how he said it? Oh yeah, savages. You yeah. know, like he he went into this different place. Yeah, he was feeling. Yeah, that. and so so there was there was pain there, but there was also resentment, and there was this there was this whole perception around that that he's viewing people that everyone out there is a potential threat to him, and then the pit in the stomach is designed to protect you from those people. Right. Right. And remember the subconscious mind, because it doesn't have access to rational thought, it's going to reinforce isolation from people because they're all savages, and there is no rational perspective on that. And it's, it's actually convoluted now with legitimate trauma and pain from the past that's fueling the emotional reaction behind the wall of visibility. That self-defense mechanism is I think one of, probably one of the hardest things for, for us you know, people to realize, right? That they're doing that, right? And it's out of protection for themselves. Yeah. But like that analogy of the sword being out in front of them to protect them from that happening again, you know, and, and like you're, we were talking about, you know, we don't always know we're doing that, right? So the, yeah. the, that pain in us and our bodies and our minds, and our hearts, trying to protect ourselves we don't want that to happen again. So maybe we don't let people get close to us. And right. so then we're stabbing them. We're pushing them away. And it's, yeah. And we don't understand why. Right. But, but let, me, let me get to the actual barrier that prevents healing. Yeah, that's... And this, this is key to this whole conversation. Because regardless of, of why I'm carrying the wound, it might be something that someone else did, or maybe it's even this something that I did that I can't forgive myself for. That could be also... A point here. But if I'm carrying that wound, then I, I surround it with a callus of resentment. And so that starts to carry in my life. And so I've got this, this attitude. Give me an example. Um, people can be savages. Yeah. That's the example we're talking about. Okay. It's, so that wasn't just stated. It was, it was expressed poignantly. So that's the wound. It's, it's the that's wound, the but there's resentment that radiates. So the outer layer, the right. callus part, is resentment. Yeah. And so the thing that prevents emotional healing from taking place is someone's unwillingness to forgive the person who hurt them. So if I won't let go of it because I'm so angry that it happened, I mean, it's injustice, you know. So why would I let go of that? That's not okay. And so that justification and the legitimate resentment towards those circumstances, the, reset, or the regret, all of that together creates a barrier that can actually prevent me from letting go and preventing me from replacing that trauma with something else. Marcus, let me ask you a question, and this is for everybody too. Shoot. Is forgiveness hard for you? Uh, yeah. What is forgiveness? What does it mean to you? Mm, just being able to acknowledge that someone did something to you and then it's okay, I guess. What does that mean, though? What does that say about the other person? If you forgive know. somebody, what does it say about the other person to you? What is it? Where, where do you? Where do you? Where do you put them? 
kind of a complex issue. Yeah. It is a complex issue. Forgiveness is a very complex um, concept, and that's why I asked you, because I feel the same way in a lot of ways. It's it's hard to say. It's, and, it, forgiveness is not black or white. Yeah, and, and kind of it almost goes against some of the things that we've kind of talked about in other podcasts. Right. And that's like forgetting about it. Like, yeah. like the person doesn't exist. And because I've kind of done that too. I'm like, there's people that I feel like have done something. I'm just like, all right, cool. Move on. Or from, forget about it. Apathy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's I, a good word. Apathy has been my biggest, that, that most powerful tool. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's good or bad. But, well, there's a lie in there. I don't care. Okay. So I, I stop feeling, you know, so I'm just going to put that out of sight, out of mind. I'm going to deal with that by not dealing with it. And I'm going to tell myself that it doesn't bother me. So here, here's another example. Let's say that I was bullied a lot growing up. You know, so I just, I just developed this dread of being around people. Well, at some point, I developed this superpower that protects me from people bullying me. And guess what it is? Almost all of the time. I just no longer care. You know, I, I've just stopped caring. And so then I don't get hurt. You know what I mean? And so I build a story around that, and I'm like, I don't care what you think of me. I don't need you. I don't need you. I, you know, I'm a loner, and that's the way I like it. You know, and so I can build that whole story to the point where I become automatic pilot. That's how I am all of the time. And, but now, how am I affecting other people even when I don't know it? If I'm carrying around that, I don't need you. I don't care. You can't hurt me then how is that going to impact the other people that I interact with on a daily basis? You don't even give them a chance. It's just they're running into just an iron curtain. That's right. Well, you're not feeling good or bad, right? You're not feeling at all. That's the goal, right? But sometimes... But you probably still feel bad, well, even though you're right. trying to trick yourself. That is actually sure, true. But you're you know? keeping yeah. Let me ask you. But that's the lie. Good. Okay, that's the lie. Because if I, tell myself, if I tell myself I don't care enough... Then, then it really feels powerful. Can, can we not get on to care? Yeah, yeah. I was mad at you. I know you were. I was mad. Oh, and I, didn't even, I didn't even know it. I was very upset. I know uh, because I was like, man, dude, I hear I am at this hard time, and I feel bad now because listening, I'm like, shoot, man, he was overwhelmed. <laughs> He's got a lot on his plate, and I'm the bad friend. But I'm like, dude, I'm I'm in a spot where this podcast could have helped me out. You know, could have put me in a good spot, and I just felt like you just ghosted me, right? And I and I wanted so mad to just be like, you know what? Forget Dave. Yeah. No. No. Forget him. And and, and Grant, I can never do that, dude. You're honestly, you're one of my best friends, right. and I can never do that. But I was trying to trick myself into saying, yeah. no, I, I'm going to do what he taught me. It wasn't going to work. I'm going to do what he taught me. I'm just going to say, you know what? I'm done with Dave. You know, no, I'm not. I'm no longer friends. Like I was just going to write off, and I, and like I was trying to convince myself, and that's why I said, like, yeah, you really can't. You, you say you don't feel anything, and you're like, I don't care, but truly you do. Because I'm like, damn, dude, I miss Dave. Right. I miss the podcast. I, and not even just a podcast. I'm like, dude, this guy, I've like, man, there's so many stories. I'm like, he's, he's my friend. And I, I got to that point where I'm just like, no, screw it, dude. I'm done. But in my mind, I'm like, man, I just want him to call me. Yeah. I, I really just want to be his friend. I really would, like a text would just light me up. Right. You Which is, I mean? yeah, no, 100%. I'm glad that we can talk about that because... I hope um, I'm not making this weird. Not at all, not at all. Because, amends or what? No, I, I begged him to call you. I begged him to come find you. I, See, and, and on, on the flip the side of this, here's, yeah. this, here's the crazy part about perception. Your side of the table, you're thinking like, what a dick. He's, he's ghosting me. He's this, that, he's, that, he's all these other things. 
Meanwhile, I'm on this side of the table thinking, man, this is a good break I'm taking. I feel good. I'm bettering myself. I didn't know until like three months later when Kenny was like, hey, have you talked to Marcus lately? I was like, no, not really. You rat. <laughs> I want you rat. guys. I don't want you to feel what Kenny. you were feeling, dude. You were like exuding Stealth this mode, pain. Kenny. And I'm yeah. like, well, he just planted this little seed. He's like, hey. yeah, like he's, I don't know, man. Maybe you guys should talk. You guys should talk. And I'm like, now you're trying to cover on? for him, huh? <laughs> he's, he, no, dude. He did not come out and be like, oh, Marcus hates you. He was just like, you guys should talk. I was like, there's a problem. Yeah. So you're over here like, there's a problem. And I'm like, there's a problem? Yeah. yeah. Think about that disconnect. And it's it's because, and this this is kind of going down a different road than what we were talking about, but the communication there was, and the perception of what was actually happening was so skewed that it led to a world where you tried to be apathetic towards it and you tried to just be, nah, whatever, move on. I couldn't. And neither could I. Yeah. The love was too strong. I just wanted you guys to get well, back. Well, and here here's the thing. That's awesome. You know, yeah. now I see it I and I'm that. like, Oh, holy shit, man. Like Dave was even having some issues at home. Right. And here I am like a bad friend, like trying to demand time. You know what I'm saying? Which I kind of, it makes me feel bad. I wouldn't feel bad. I, the only thing I would feel bad about, because I don't, I don't let Mike, Mike and I discovered something really unique about me the other day. What would Bruce say about forgiveness for me? I don't remember. Remember Bruce, (laughs) Bruce said, I'm the type of person when I ask for forgiveness, I feel forgiven. Oh yeah, you, you let it go. I let it go. That, yeah, that's that's. What and he when said. he so we sat down with his friend Bruce, and this was really interesting to me because I've never been able to explain this, but I've always felt this. He's like, there's something very, very unique. Bruce, Bruce is <laughs> Bruce is a whole other ball. He's a whole different story. Bruce is he a needs, very he needs to be on. This. We'll bring we'll bring him on the yeah. show. Bruce is a very very talented individual who um, can see things that other people can't. And so basically he was sitting there kind of analyzing me and, and, and looking like beyond me and into kind of like my soul. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, he said something very interesting, which was, yeah, you have a very unique way of forgiveness. Would you ask for forgiveness and you feel forgiven and you move on? And I feel the same way towards other people. And he was contrasting that with other people who can't let go. Right. So he, he saw that as a real strength for you because you don't drag around unnecessary baggage. Right. And that's what helps you find success moving forward. Yep. So that's that, why I don't get, I don't get hung strength. up on stuff. Yeah. So, so that's why, move on. that's yeah. why if I, I, I ask you for forgiveness, let's just do a little baby hand. Look at this. Yes. <laughs> No, but I mean, that's the thing I wanted. I wanted, that was kind of like at my birthday party when I was talking to you, like, Hey man, like I want to get back up and going. Did I sit down and say, man, I screwed up. I didn't even know that I screwed up until I knew that I screwed up. If that makes sense. Like you don't know what you don't know. That's right. Um, And so it was an interesting, it was an interesting moment for me because learning about forgiveness, I've never, I just can't say I've really ever struggled with it. Giving and, and receiving. I've always felt like if I ask for it, that I'm doing my part and I got better things to do with my time and energy. You know what, dude, you're kind of like the guy. This is an analogy for you. Okay. You could walk up and kick me in the balls, right? <laughs> and be like, Hey, damn it. You just kicked me in the balls. That really hurt. You're like, nah, you're okay. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm upset, Dave. And you'd be like, nah, you're okay. And I'd be like, well, I mean, I guess it doesn't hurt that bad. <laughs> I think I've literally you know? seen this happen. I've seen Dave do this to people. Another example. <laughs> I rented two motorcycles for a trip, right? I got a crummy one and I got a nice one. You know, the RMZ 450 back in the day. Oh, yeah. And then I rented like a, an, what was it? A DRZ 350. <laughs> 
And I told Dave, I'm like, Dave, look, I rented the motorcycles. I'm going to ride the RMZ 450. He's like, yeah, okay, cool, cool. So he was on that bike for like five, min five minutes, and I'm on the 450 having a great time. And he's like, hey, let me ride that 450. I'm like, I mean, I guess you guess you can ride it for a couple minutes. You never got it back. I never <laughs> got I that bike back the whole trip. I the got stuck in ball. the dust. I, hey, on the and look, he's still hey, hanging on to it. I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? <laughs> Again. Okay, there goes another one. I feel forgiven. Right. Here's the thing, man. I like, like Mike said, I'm a bowling ball. I'm a wrecking ball in a bowling alley. I, there's a lot of collateral damage that I don't even know exists because I'm oblivious. That you didn't know until today. Exactly. I didn't know. And that there's a lot of relationships and people that are probably listening. They're like, hey, yeah, you kind of stole my dirt bike one day. I mean, I've stole your dirt I, bike You once. did. You did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I got it taken away. <laughs> now that we bring that up, fifth that, grade. There's, 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 there's a lot of... I'm trying to throw you under the bus. No, either. not at all. I don't feel thrown under the bus. I legitimately, genuinely. And the, and the point was, was, you know, people say that the whole thing of like, hey, you know, I'm forget that I'm done. I'm going to put it out of my mind. I don't care. But really, you care. I care. About what matters. Yeah. yeah. I, and that's what I've kind of had. It's hard sometimes. Actually, it's not that hard. If you have discernment, you can know what matters and what doesn't and what you can move on from and what you should spend a little bit more time on. Um, but uh, I, that's why I wanted to ask you because I, you know. I felt kind of this layer of ice melting off of you over the last two or three or four or five episodes that we've done. It's taking you a little bit of time to like, not I just, just didn't want to jump in there and say it. Yeah, no, it's, I know. mean, it was there. We felt it. Yeah. Now the, now the viewers are part of it, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, at the birthday party, I was kind of surprised to see that whole working out, but I was happy, but I assumed you guys had talked. Well, no, no, I think that was a big moment for you to swallow your pride and be like, you know what? He's still my best friend. So I'm just going to DJ's birthday party, even though we have our differences. Well, you want me to be honest? Like at first I was like, heck no. I ain't <laughs> and then, and in my mind, I was like, but, but I really do want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk to him, you know? But I mean, this is a prime example of all of our lives, right? This yeah. is something that we all go through. Unfortunately, not all of us have healthy relationships with people with healthy communication. So you don't always get that other side where it's like, hey, man, here's how I felt. Here's how I felt. So if you don't have that other side, you got to work it out on your own, right? Well, you know, I, I want to circle back to forgiving people. What if the thing you're trying to forgive someone of, they didn't do? So yeah. what if it was a perception, like right here, there was a perception that he maliciously ghosted you when in reality he just wasn't aware that that was going on and he was preoccupied with other things. So how many people are we really upset at for reasons that aren't completely legitimate? And so if, if we refuse to forgive them, you know, so I've got a little story I talk about in my book. I want to, do you mind if I share it? It, it, sure. it demonstrates a really- Mike, listen, your, your mission- is to change the world. So is. this is your platform. Whatever yeah, you want to say. We probably got to start giving you the mic more. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've got a story. I put it in my book. And in fact, Bruce was the one who told me this story needed to be in there. And so so I went back and I've, I found a place for it. But it, the, the title of this little story is The Toothpick in the Tire. And it's a true story of something that happened with me and my father. And he, uh, so he's, he died back in 99. And I actually told this story at his funeral, which got a really big laugh. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you how it, how it played out. So my dad was out working in the, in the fields with the horses. And, you know, we were, um, I found a perfect opportunity to drive his new truck out into the field. And I was pretty excited about it because I was only 15. 
So I, I drove out there and he got furious at me because I, I pulled the truck out and he said, I said, why? What's the big deal? I was all defensive and angry. And he said, there's wire everywhere. You're going to put a hole in one of the tires. And I said, so I just, I threw a little fit and I, I drove the truck back out and I went to park it in the driveway. And as I got out of the truck, I, I saw a wire sticking through the sidewall of the tire. And I'm like, oh, great. And so this happened to be on a Sunday. So I thought, can I take this to get it fixed? Dad's going to kill me. you know. And plus, he was mad at me. He was right. And so, so I took the car, and I, I drove it to the gas station, but nothing was open. Sorry, it was the truck. And while I was driving, the wire was slapping against the road. And so I thought, gosh, I, I should pull that out. So I pulled the car over, and I pulled the wire out. And what do you expect happened? The wire came out. You know, it starts, it starts leaking out. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I looked around, and I found a toothpick that was right there where I pulled over. So I grabbed the toothpick, and I crammed it into the hole. And it stopped the tire from going flat. But I still couldn't get the tire repaired. So I brought it back home. There's a toothpick stuck in the tire. And I asked my mom... Um, I asked her if she could work it out with my dad. And so I, I disappeared for a while. I went and hung out with my friends. <laughs> well, she said, okay, I'll take care of it. And the way she took care of it is she didn't tell him about it. Okay, so, so you can pr- probably guess where this story is going. When we, uh, the next morning when my dad got up to go to work, he walked out and saw that he had a flat tire. And he walked over to inspect closer and he saw a toothpick stuck into the tire. And so, so what, what kind of conclusion are you going to form when you see this? See, he yells to my mom, you got to come see this. And she came out. And he said, look at this. This toothpick put a hole in the tire. Yeah. And, and she's, she was just playing coy and playing dumb. And so that's, that, that's how she dealt with it. She didn't tell him. <laughs> but, but can you imagine it? Like he lived the rest of his life thinking, how could a toothpick put a hole in that tire? <laughs> you never so, broke it to him? No, I didn't break it to him. <laughs> okay. I was waiting for him to apologize for getting mad at you and be like, look, even a toothpick got in here. That's right. That's priceless. So, so the point is, you have all of the facts right. You know, there's a hole in the tire. There's a toothpick there. But your conclusion is wrong. And so often we have these misunderstandings, and it creates this, you know, division between us and other people. And often it, it has to do with misunderstandings. And so that's how perception is reality. But it isn't always accurate. Yeah. It's powerful. I feel good at just getting that off my chest. I'm glad. <laughs> I feel good, too. I mean, forgiveness is a powerful tool. Um, Where's your toothpick? You had one in your mouth yeah, exactly. I don't want to talk about that. Oh, let's just say there's tires. a few tires out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Holes. <laughs> so would you say um, forgiveness, both asking for and receiving, where does that fall on this list of of healing i mean on the, on yeah. the list of uh, yeah where we're going with this well so, so the analogy is if if i pick up a sharp jagged rock because i'm really upset about what happened and it's there's legitimate concern there right it's not fair what happened and i'm squeezing that rock and i refuse to let go of it because i'm so upset who is it hurting me it's not hurting the person who hurt me and so I'm holding all of that negative energy inside of me. And, you know, we talked about what's your internal weather system. Remember we talked about that last time? So by me clenching onto this grudge, um, even regardless of how what happened to me happened, I'm still holding on to that negative energy. And so it's changing my internal weather system all of the time. 
And so that preoccupation with the rock that I'm squeezing around my hand and it's cutting into my hands, that will prevent me from healing. So from a practical standpoint, here's where things get a little bit tricky. This is kind of where the whole fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, yeah. shame oh, on yeah. me type Great thing point. comes in. Because That's a very good point. It's like people, people mess up repeatedly. They do. And so if I, if, I, if, if I ghost Marcus again, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks from now and do the exact same thing that, uh-huh. that I did last year. Toothpicks in your tires. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. See, you are smart, Mark. Marcus. What is he? Like what is it. he supposed to do? Well, I mean, I mean, the short answer: he he needs to have a conversation with you to have you be accountable. Right. And if you won't take the feedback, then it could ruin your friendship. So you that's that's a I like where that went. Essentially, you approach the issue that's causing the the pain Uh and make sure that perception is as close to equal as possible from both sides of the table. Yeah. I'm seeing this the same way you're seeing this at least kind of close. We've got a good understanding and you know how much it hurts me. I know how much it hurts you. Then if that person goes to repeat that action and is just belligerent about your feelings, that's when it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to now become apathetic towards that person, yeah. or I'm going to not care about that person anymore. Because if I do, when I care about that person, they hurt me. Look at those old patterns we talked about. So if you were carrying around resentment, so I'll go back to the old mantra, resentment about people nickeling and diming your time. So you're carrying a force field around you that is a deterrent from anyone stealing time from you. And so if you're carrying that unknowingly, um, what kind of environment is there for Marcus to be able to bring this up to you, right? So you might be sending out daggers and not even know it, and so it's deterring him and frustrating him from being able to have that conversation. Right. So that's why I say, you know, when change comes into play, you have to be willing to take the feedback and, and really give it some merit and, and really take a look at it, even if it, if it means that some things that you've been doing are wrong. Right. Right. And so, so refusing to receive feedback, it, it breaks down relationships. Right. And so sometimes, like if someone comes to me and they're complaining to me, no one loves me. I don't have any friends I never have. And let's just say that person has been picked on their whole life. So they've got that whole narrative inside of their mind where they're isolating themselves away from the bullies. Um, they haven't learned the social skills interacting with others. How would they know? How would they know how to interact if they've never done it? And so they're acting badly, okay? And so this isn't an issue of, about just saying, okay, well, you were bullied your whole life, so you have the right to mistreat everyone else for the rest of your life to, to, for payback because of what you had to go through. You know, that person is lying to themselves saying, I don't care about people, I don't need anyone. And the reality of it is they have to acknowledge to themselves that this really hurts. I feel lonely. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm drinking too much alcohol because I'm lonely. And it just seems like no one's ever cared, no one ever will, and alcohol's my only friend. Right. Right? That's how addiction becomes fueled, because I finally just accept that this is the new normal, this is as good as it gets, and it's so bad that I might as well find something to help me right. pass the time. So once you do forgive somebody, um, and I kind of like that we spend a little bit of time on that, on that because... I do preach, and I, I have preached in the past and will continue to preach that toxic people have no room in your life. And so if you find somebody who's toxic, you need to learn how to not care about that person. And I, I'm probably saying things that you're like cringing at, but this is the way that I've best found to deal with these certain situations because 
it's going to get to the point where you're not going to be able to change somebody. And so in order to keep them from hurting you, you have to. Okay. Let, let's, let's put that into context of the example I gave with, you know, I, I'm closed down because people bullied me. Right. If I'm mistreating the three of you because I'm angry and I'm carrying around that veiled resentment and that attitude that I don't care, if I'm mistreating you, then most likely you're not going to want to be my friend. And so I need to be aware of that. Right. So even though I've been victimized, even though I've suffered a lot, I'm also blind to the fact that I'm creating the very dynamics that's pushing people out of my lives, out of my life. And so I need to be accountable for that regardless of the fact that I was bullied. Now, if you, so you, I, maybe I should take you into like a really powerful example of hypnosis. One, it was a story that I learned that really demonstrates how, how trauma can, can get embedded inside of you. Um, do you want to hear that? Yeah, or? I'd love to. Okay. So there was a, uh, so the, the grandfather of hypnosis, his name is Dave Ellman, and he's the man who really put hypnosis on the map and helped shape it into what it is today. Okay, so hypnosis used to be entertaining. You know, it used to be something that was fun to go watch, but it's not real, you right. know, and now it's moving into this place where, wow, hypnosis can re-encode trauma inside of someone's mind, and hypnosis is changing lives. Well, this example that I'm going to share with you um, was really powerful. So I actually watched the video footage of this where he was doing a hypnosis session in front of a panel of physicians back in the 50s. And the man came to him with a problem, and his problem was is he had a stuttering problem where he just couldn't speak very easily. And he's about 50-plus years old, and poignantly over the past three or four years, it had gotten so bad that he just flat-out stopped. He stopped trying to talk. It was just too hard for him to communicate. So Dave Ellman went ahead and put him in hypnosis, and they went over that wall that separates the two halves of the mind. And he asked his subconscious mind, take me to the reason for this stuttering. <clears throat> and eventually he gets there, and he finds himself, <clears throat> excuse me, as a three-year-old boy sitting at the water barrel at the farm. And dad is just pulling up from, um, he's been out drinking, he gets out of the truck, and he walks up, and his son's standing there. He walks up. He's, he's like, what are you doing? And he looks in, and this little boy had taken these chicks, these baby chickens, and dropped them in the water and had, had drowned them. And dad went ape on him. So dad was drunk, and he started punching him, started hitting him, just freaking out. Why did you do this? And as the little boy's starting to cry, he says to him, if you, keep, if you keep crying, I'll give you a reason to cry. And so there's trauma. He's bludgeoning this three-year-old, and he doesn't understand what's going on. And so he's in a loop where he can't cry. And, and yet he's terrified, and he doesn't know, understand what's going on. <clears throat> so Dave inadvertently asked him, he said, why did you drop the chicks into the water? And he said, in a child's voice, remember that in the subconscious mind, time doesn't exist. He's back in the memory. So there's a three-year-old boy, and he said, I just wanted to see the duckies swim. And so can you imagine dad coming into that situation and beating him up and putting this trauma inside of him, and for the rest of his life from the age of three, every time he went to speak, 
that trauma that he went through with his father was being relived over and over again. And so Dave did something masterful with this man while he's in that, in that memory. And he said to him, you go right ahead and cry if you want to. And this full-grown man started sobbing. And he started sobbing. His body was shaking. And, when they, and, he, and then Dave made a statement to him. He said, you go ahead and cry if you want to. You go ahead and talk if you want to. Now, that's a hypnotic statement. And that's going back, and that's affiliating this freedom to express yourself and going back to that trauma and, and putting something positive. And as he sobbed and sobbed, when he finished that experience, Dave Ellman counted him out of hypnosis, and in front of a panel of physicians, this man started speaking without a stutter. Wow. Permanently gone. It's, and so now look at for 50 plus years of his life, he's living in a world of isolation and he's gotten to the point where he's so frustrated and shut down that he just won't talk to people anymore. I mean, do you think that changed the trajectory of his life on what job he would go and find? Like maybe he wants to work somewhere privately at night, maybe a custodian or something so he doesn't have to interact with people. And it all went back to trauma that happened to him as a three-year-old boy. So now let's pull forgiveness into that. Um, it would be really tempting to say, if he hadn't done that, look what my life would have been. And that's probably true, wouldn't you say? Yeah. To, to have the narrative and say, you know what, I could have had a normal life. I could have. Well, I think a lot of us have the ability to look back at our parents and say, oh, if you would have just done that's this right. or not done that, I would be you know, less this or less that. That's right. Every one of us has an excuse if we want one. And some are better than others. And some are legitimate reasons. But nonetheless, if I'm going to hold on to that grudge, then that will prevent me from healing. And so this, so this is about, you know, what's more important to you, being right or being healed? And sometimes you have to let go of the narrative even if you're right. And, and, and by the way, forgiving doesn't mean condoning. Yeah, that was something I wanted to touch on is that, you know, when you asked Marcus, what is forgiveness and was it hard for you? And he said, you know, uh, it means that it's okay. I mean, to elaborate, you're saying like it's okay between you and that person, but you're not necessarily saying that it's cool. I like to be treated that way. Yeah. And that's where it gets tricky is there's times that I like, I want to be able to, you know, forgive people. And, and, and I usually end up doing that, but I also make it clear in the message that, but let's not keep doing that. Right. Yeah. I'm not condoning, you know, what happened between us or the way that you handled it. Yeah. Uh, but but you and I are good. I, I forgive the you know the so, situation. So let, let's honor something. Like let me give you an analogy of cement forms. You know when you're pouring the foundation of a home. You know what purpose do the forms serve when you pour in the wet cement? What's the purpose of the so forms? The wet cement until it dries. Until it dries, right? And and once it's really solid, then there's no off. there's no need for those forms. But sometimes those forms are resentment. Right, It's something that holds us in place. And there's a positive intention behind resentment because you've alluded to it. It's like, you know, if I forgive you, but you keep doing that to me, then I get more resentful. So the only solution is I can never be your friend anymore. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be that way. I just think that I have to be willing to be more forthright and be courageous enough to address the real problem. 
And, you know, so I'm not asking you to, hey, let's just become, you know, a pushover so everyone will just do this to you from now on and you'll just always forgive them and, you know, maybe you'll just be easygoing that way. It's about coming up with a way that works better than resentment, right? It's, it's not taking away resentment. It's replacing resentment with legitimate boundaries with consequences. And you can't have legitimate boundaries unless you communicate those to someone. And so that would be you, Marcus, talking to Dave saying, hey, dude, you know, you, you keep ghosting me, and this is how it affects me, and I need you to, to acknowledge that. And if you, if you just said, you know what, I, I can't deal with your drama. You know how many people have bothered me today? <laughs> like, if you took that approach, you would very well lose a friend. Right. Because now what you've conveyed to him is you don't care how he feels, and your story is more important than how he feels. Right. So sometimes, most of the time, these beefs that we have with other people is just nothing more than a misunderstanding that gets blown out of proportion. It gets buried into the subconscious mind and it starts to grow and fester and become infected with, with a fever of resentment. This is what I love about our podcast. What did you think tonight's episode was going to be about? I didn't know. Hypnotizing. I thought, I thought it was going to be about maybe hypnosis, maybe talking about hands last session. What is it about? Forgiveness. Forgiveness yes. and resentment. This is, I, I love it. I literally, this is like my favorite part of what we do because we're an hour and 10, 12 minutes into this thing. And we're now just realizing that the whole conversation is coming full circle and the topic of tonight. And it's inspired. There's no, it's not, this is not a coincidence. It's not a mistake. And this is the logical next step in part of this healing process that we're talking about with you, Mike, is forgiveness because. It's funny, when we first started, I said the title of the episode was going to be That Pebble in Your Shoe is Killing You. Well, that's resentment. Yeah. That's forgiveness. That's if you if you can't if you can't acknowledge that you're holding on to that resentment or that pain or whatever it is, that is slowly going to kill you. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna agitate you, it's gonna make you uh, less of a person than you could potentially be. Um, and so, man, I love this. This is uh it's powerful stuff. And I think we could spend And it's real, you it, know. It's very real. It's, it's I mean it's something that Marcus I and I were 15 gonna, pounds lighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, this makes me happy. Uh, that it's, you know, even though you friends. had to rat, <laughs> I don't call that ratting. I call it being a real friend. That, that's, <laughs> so, and I do. I call that too. And, and Look, I think that was, that was courageous. And, and, and I actually applaud that because that, that's someone who's got some intuition, who's right. willing, who's willing to intervene. I'm not trying to give you a hard time. I know you're good, dude. But at the end of the day, like we, we need friends like that. We need someone who's willing to step up and I've give been us in a Dave's bit of, shoes and and didn't know things that were going on well, you know my intentions i knew where you were at and i knew that if you knew he was hurting you'd want to talk to him that's the beautiful part is marcus was on a peak way over there i was on a peak way over here you were in the valley you're able to see a little bit of his side Down of the story in the valley. a little bit of my Down side of the story the and that's a powerful like that's why mediators exist right this is why friends right. family mediators people who can kind of um what do they call it Inter what do they call christ an interme intermediary Third part. Oh, oh, intermediary, yeah, right. a mediator. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was basically a mediator. He he's yeah. somebody who can plead to God on our behalf, and so you know, uh, you played the role of Christ. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I think, uh, ironically, you were listening. Yeah, I mean, I saw his pain. I felt his pain, and I I I knew that if you felt that, you would not want that. And so I'm just glad you guys worked it out. Well, I love both you guys, man. Yeah. Likewise, brother. Same man. What about Just me? Love. 
Mike, Love we're getting you, Mike. There. <laughs> you keep talking about my dad. We'll see. <laughs> How I'm can a, you not love Mike? I'm, I'm a little yeah. upset and didn't tell your dad you stuck the toothpick in there after you pulled out the wire. Oh, he you know? less it, of you now. <laughs> it, may, it may very well have been an oversight. Yeah. It could, Remember, it could I mean, I've got deniability here because my mom said she'd take care of it. So True. Yeah, that's he's got. I mean, I love, I love you too, Mike. <laughs> a lot of love. I, I'm, I'm feeling no, he it. forgave yeah, you for the toothpick. Yeah. yeah. Now, so, now that I saw it, you know. Guys, um, forgiveness, man. I mean, when you're talking the checklist format, normally we give you, you know, things like take a cold shower, do this, do that. Forgiveness is probably going to be our only checklist item tonight because it's such a big, powerful one. Um, but let's talk about some steps to get into forgiveness. Some things that maybe you in your in your you know seeing red right now you may not be able to see clearly as to how you can kind of take steps towards either forgiving or being forgiven let's get into that a little bit because you and i were recently in a situation where somebody shared um an expectation they had for i think 30 years they said and when they confronted a person or oh, yeah. you know went to talk to them it did not go yeah. as planned and you know my two cents were that you know when you dive into something that's that deep, um, you kind of have to go into it. And this is where it's really hard, right? And you probably need a third party. Uh, it was that uh, you need to go into it without the expectation that they're just going to change, right? That there's, oh, it's going to be fixed. But that he needed to share what he had to say, right? Uh, there was a lot of pain, a lot of hurt in this person. And do you remember what you said in that? I said a lot of things. But you gave some good advice, you were able to tell him, you know, your thoughts on, you know, hey, this is the kind of person you are and, and help him see that it doesn't have a reflection on him necessarily. Yeah, it's so that's the thing. Going into forgiveness, you just have to know that you might have somebody great like Marcus on the other end and you can work through it and you can, you can you know, a, obtain forgiveness on both sides. Um, not that I necessarily needed forgiveness. Not that you need forgiveness for me because... You didn't really do anything. I knew that you were upset and I felt the grudge. So yeah, I guess on to a certain extent, I wanted to be able to forgive you for being mad at me for misunderstanding me. So yeah, that's, that's a good example, but you will go into situations where, um, you can't, you're not going to get cooperation from the other party. Yeah, yes. And so you need to be fully prepared to be able to work it out. Um, the best that you can with yourself. And I think it's possible. Yeah. The, the worst arrangement you could ever make <clears throat> is when you say something like, as long as you change, then I'll be okay. Yeah, that's giving them a whole lot of power yeah. and yeah. set them up for failure. And legitimately, sometimes people won't care. They won't be sorry. And that's when, for me, that's when forgiveness becomes even more difficult because they won't take accountability but I'm really pushing to establish a true principle with them and they won't see it. Let me ask you something. Can we talk about Marvin? Yeah. So, yeah. uh, Marcus, uh, how do you explain? You didn't grow up with your real dad. Your real dad left when you were like two, when you were two mm -hmm. and you, your dad to you is, is Randy, right? Who's not your biological dad, stepdad, He's your stepdad, but, dad. but he's basically your dad. He's, he's the only person you know as dad. Randy's mm -hmm. an awesome guy. I know Randy. Love Randy. Um, Marvin's dead? Yeah, he's he passed away, I think, like two years or maybe a year after my mission because I think you were still out. So it was probably about a year after my mission. You never had a relationship with him? So, no. No, I met my grandma. I met my uncles. I met my cousins all on that side because my mom 
felt like, you know, I should know that side of the family, but I never met my dad or never had a desire right. to un until I went on my mission. Right. And then I was like, uh, I felt like, you know, I needed to forgive him. Right. Because you, you grew up I hated pretty him. pissed off at the guy. Uh, the only time I heard from Marvin was when he found out he had leukemia. Yeah. And oh, so he, he called my mom and basically said, hey, will you see if he's a match? Yeah. So that was the only connection I had to my dad was when he got leukemia was I went and got tested. I didn't want to right. at first. My, and then my dad, who's my stepdad, you know, Randy said, hey, man, you, you know, you got to be a bigger man here. So I did. Wasn't a match. Never talked to him again. Pretty much hated him. Right. Then I went on my mission, you know, got spiritual. I got Jesus. <laughs> and uh, Down in the hot Atlanta. I uh, felt like I needed to forgive him, so I wrote him a letter. A letter, just I don't even know what I said to be honest. But uh, on your mission, you wrote him a letter. Yeah, yeah. And I wrote him a letter, and he wrote back. But when he wrote back, it was there was no substance. And so at that point, I'm like, I kind of done what I thought I needed to. Right. You know. So do you think you ever forgave him when he died? That's a tough one, man. Or did it just close the chapter and it was easier to be done with? I think it was more the apathy thing. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'd like to jump in here just really quickly. That's the only reason I brought it up. I would not bring it up without seat. a professional to be yeah. able to kind of dig into this. So when I take someone into the subconscious mind and we get into a pure hypnosis, um, we'll often find on that side of the wall that there's still unforgiveness that's present. So maybe it's not just have I forgiven them or not, but maybe if you looked at it more, what percentage have I let go of? And sometimes there's the residue in the corners that is the trickiest part. You know, sometimes we're still holding on to things that we legitimately cannot see from a conscious perspective. So this is where denial comes back into play. I made, I made like demand that you know that I have forgiven so-and-so. But in the subconscious realm, that's not totally true. So I'm still holding on to that resentment and I'm still holding on to some of the story that's affecting me in hidden ways. And so even that has the ability to, to prevent me from healing. You know, if it's, so just, you know, if, even if it's just 10%, if I'm just still holding on to one little corner of that, it's still affecting my system. You know, think about an engine. If there's just something off, like a piston is just misfiring a little bit, it affects the whole drive, right? And so it can still affect us in hidden ways. How can you forgive a dead guy? I was, dude, that was the, I was just about ways. to say that. Yeah. What's the one you recommend? What do you, that, how do you that, tell people? I'll it? tell you what, that, that is a very interesting question to ask me because hypnosis takes me in, into a different world that a lot of you wouldn't believe. Yeah. You know, because I, I believe that getting into the subconscious mind isn't just about getting into the mind, but it's getting into the soul. I think this, this is where the um, caption and kind of the headline of your book comes into play, let go and let God heal. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people will pass from this world with unfinished business. Right. And, and so we're still hooked to them because we're angry at them. So there's, there's this entanglement that doesn't just magically go away when someone dies. You know, I know a lot of people think that's true, but no. based on what I've experienced, you know, and I've seen this many, many times, so this isn't really even a theory of mine. I've just observed this over and over, having people in hypnosis. So the question was, how do you, how do you forgive someone who's already passed on? A dead guy. A dead guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that dead guy is sorry, but you're angry at him, then what are we going to do? 
I don't know that he was sorry. You, you won't know he was sorry. But yeah. what if he is legitimately sorry? And, and then on top of that, that guy that hurt you, remember that he was carrying wounds that you could never measure. You don't know what he went through in his childhood. You know, I use the analogy of if those kids that picked on me in school, how many of those kids were going home and getting beat up? He did have a rough childhood, right? No. Did he not? No, he cheated on my mom a bunch. What about growing up, though? No. All right. parents. Went on the mission. Regular I w- guy. I would still say that he was carrying something, and that was sabotaging his life. And so... Well, you have to. There's no other way to explain... No behavior yeah i mean honestly like um tony robbins um he he uses this phrase a lot you know how how could he give you something that he didn't have himself in the words of uh what was uh batman's butler g no uh was it alfred alfred Alfred. yeah why did i say jeeves he said that uh some people just want to see the world burn yeah, and, and and maybe I'm I'm completely wrong, but well, I don't know. I just, they all have a reason, though. Sometimes that might be true. Yeah, you know, some. But but most of the time, like you say, Dave, most. I really wanted to say that a lot cooler. Like <laughs> I was trying to pull it out. Let's, like, let's, the words some, here's a do over. Go ahead, burn. Yeah, no, I I can't even do effect. it now. You know, that's <laughs> this is a very very. I know this is a very sensitive personal topic to Marcus, but at the same time, man, like I always say you represent a lot of our listeners and viewers. And there's a lot of people at home that are like, hell yeah. How do I forgive a dead guy? How do I, how do I forgive my dead mom? How do I like my mom beat me and she passed away? What do I do there? Like that's a, it's a serious issue. Let's start with the first step. You have to want to want to forgive. And if, if you're not there yet, you know, then, then that's, that's a campaign that you can start. And it's more than just a thought, a fleeting thought that might hit you every couple of years. You know, you can use intention. Ooh, I got a good question. What do you have to lose in forgiving Marvin? Mm. Mm. What do I have to lose in forgiving Marvin? I almost feel like it justifies him being a shit dad and not being there and going to start another family, uh, cheating on my mom, beating my mom. I almost feel like it like makes that okay. And I'm like, no, the hell with that. Like, that's not okay. As Mike would say, let's put a floodlight on that. Yeah, I mean, here's an analogy for you. If uh, if you're a hot air balloon and the basket is filled with sandbags that keeps it from lifting off the ground, well, all, all of what you just said is in the basket, and that's what will keep this balloon from lifting. And so your narrative, like, I'm not going to condone this, so I'm never going to forgive you, so I'm always going to be upset that I didn't have the childhood that I should have had, you know, then to that, be fair, to be fair, I had a freaking awesome childhood. For yeah. sure, I don't think about this okay, very okay. much. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, it did really. I mean, it doesn't bother me very much. You know, to be honest. Let me just share another analogy here. Um, often, you know, in orphanages, that the children, if it's understaffed, the children or, or the infants that are in cribs, at some point they stop crying because there's not enough people to come in and give them the care that they need. And so when they stop crying, they've just learned something, right? What's the point in crying? Because no one's coming anyway. That, that's almost the perception that becomes, you know, created through that, through that lack of attention. But then that's less than ideal diaper. situation. So that's right. Going back to the question that I asked, 
now let's flip it. What do you have to gain by not forgiving him? Mm. That's another tough question. I don't know. He's asked me these questions too and on, on different topics that that I felt fully justified in feeling a certain way on. Can I establish one point really quickly? Sure. The reason I gave you that analogy is most people don't realize, like they learned how to not feel. Mm-hmm. That was their coping mechanism. That's how they survived. And so if we got back into hypnosis and we really went back and took a look, there was a time when there was this little boy whose heart was broken because daddy wasn't there. And, you know, someone else came in and filled in for that. And that's great. So I had a hell of a dad. Yeah, you did. You know, but there, there could still be trauma in there that likely is still there and it could still fuel, you know, when you talk, I I feel a little resentment coming from from that about him. So there's still unforgiveness directed at him. And forgiveness doesn't have to even be selfless. For you you can be selfish with forgiveness because if you get the, the sandbag out of your basket, then your balloon can lift. You know, so it's still something that you're dragging around and Regardless of whether it benefits him or not, there's something in it for you. I mean, that's that's where, a level. Where'd you brought that up? Because like when I was thinking about forgiveness, I'm like, oh, where's the one? Where's the one thing that I? I mean, I you know, I'm pretty easy. You know, like I've okay, cool, we're good. But that was the one thing I'm like, I don't know that I've ever done that. You yeah. know, but then again, I don't. Just, I mean, I know it's a wrong answer. You know what I mean? It's not what you guys want, but I just don't see like the need at this point. The point. Yeah, yeah but. <clears throat> Hey, hey from, you see that though? He just acknowledged. Yeah. You acknowledged that it was the wrong answer <laughs> because yeah. it is the wrong answer, but right. it, it, it's, it's like, what's the right answer, right? There's, there's, this is a very complex issue, but now you're aware that you could potentially benefit you're selfishly. thinking about this all the time. I know time, it's good right? though, man. It's, this is, this is not all the time. This is something that, like he said, you can do this for selfish reasons because now there's an opportunity for you to potentially even grow, improve and be a better dad than you already are. You're a great dad. You're a great dad, but what if you could even be better because you're able to let go of some resentment that you on have the other him? side? Though I say that the reason why I've chose to be a good dad in like right. yeah. the extra you're, mile is the, like the, I'm the counter example. I'm going father. to be the guy. Yep. I'm going to be yeah. the dad. Yeah. You know, you know. So I, I've been sitting back observing a scenario that could play out on some level. Um, <clears throat> when Dave abandoned you, walked away from the podcasts it was pulling on some strings that had been established with your own father. And even though consciously you want to tell me that that doesn't affect you, often when... Am I when, that deep? I don't dude, know that I'm that deep. Yeah, you are. Dude, yeah. I don't know, man. You, there is no question you're that deep. I, I can see that you're that deep. That's why loyalty is so huge to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Loyalty is a big That's thing. That's right. It, it, became, it became this quality that you would, you would personify because in, in part you lacked that with your own father. The irony here, not to interrupt, I've never heard Marcus talk about his real father. Right before you walked in tonight, he was talking about him. Oh, really? Yeah. To who? My you were telling whatever. me. I was telling you about? About your real dad. Oh, yeah. Because you said, you told me that, yeah, that yeah. you yeah. had a stepdad. Yeah. Yeah. I anyway, I didn't even know anything about his real father. Yeah. I Look, I'm one of Marcus's best friends, and I don't know a ton about Marvin. All I know is that anytime we've ever talked about Marvin, it's that shit bag. It's yeah. that, 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 you know, that it's, but it's, it's not like, oh, he, he effed me up and I'm so mad at him. It's just that shit bag that, you know, that guy, just whatever. Just a guy. I don't just want a to guy. be like, yeah, I don't want to be like that. It's guy. refreshingly honest. Yeah. That, that's actually cool. Right. Because you're willing to be real about it. You know, if, 
if, if I have someone who comes to me and they tell me I'm so depressed that I can't function in my lifetime, I'm digging for stuff just like that because that could be one root system of a weed that's tangled up with other root systems of other weeds and collectively they create a story that's hidden from you that has the, the ability to pollute your faith in mankind. And so that's, all of this stuff matters. You know, that's, that's why we're seeing these so-called miracles because yeah. we're digging down and we're, we're digging up the roots. We're not just mowing over the top, right? We're, we're, we're getting down into to where the, the real meat and potatoes are. And often those, those core issues can be so profoundly um, impactful. But how would our conscious mind know? This is why the cool part about what we're talking about right now is this is the not fun part. This is the shitty part. This is the rough part. And this is the part where you said it's like 80% of the work. But, is- but it's also the liberating part. Yes. Can, can I share a story with you? Um, that, so I, I actually asked for permission today if, if I could share a story. It's actually in my book. Her name is Heather. Um, she came and worked with me when she was suffering from deep depression and, and self-loathing that was off the charts. And so the way the wall of the conscious mind works is you could say to her, oh, you have value, you know, you have worth. And the wall would just simply reject it like a fly and one of those little buzzers, you know, like the, the bug zapper. You couldn't get that concept into her subconscious mind. She just had this unexplainable, deep self-loathing. And so one day I put her into a deep hypnosis. So we went over the wall and I simply asked her subconscious mind, take me to the reason for the self-loathing. And she squirmed in her chair for a minute. And, and she, in fact, she really started squirming. And, I, and at some point I said, so where are you? What's going on? And she's still squirming. Uh, it's dark. I don't know where I am. And it's, so as soon as she got her bearings, she just made the most startling acknowledgement. I'm in the womb. I'm three months old in the womb. And so as we went in and explored that, let me tell you what happened. So her birth mother was an unwed teenager in a religious community. And so when she found out she was pregnant three months along, guess what flooded through her system when she found out she was pregnant? Jeez. Wow. Shame. Cortisol, and we talked about the adrenaline, but the shame. And, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. This couldn't be worse. Well, she's in the womb, three months in the womb, and suddenly she is now ruminating in her mother's regret. And, you know, this is, this is the subconscious mind telling us, why do you hate yourself? Okay, you'll, you'll never find that information if you're just consciously speculating about it, right? So this is, a, this is a place when we're now in the soul, and we just drilled a hole all the way down to understand something that's so core to her identity. And, and so she had that. Um, we ended that session that day. We were out of time. But, but basically, think of it. Uh, we had just created a mine. We've drilled all the way down to the gold. And so now it's exposed to the light of day. Well, later that day, <clears throat> I had her use some technology that I use that, that helps repattern the subconscious mind. So it induces hypnosis. And it's something that someone who's really struggling, who needs more help than just maybe working with, with someone like me, um, but they need daily help. They need, they need something to sustain. Is this your David box? Yeah, yeah. So this is a, yeah, it's, it's a technology. And we can talk about that in another yeah. time. But, 
she was basically using the technology which put her back into hypnosis. And I'll let you guys decide how, how this solution happened because I didn't do it. Like I didn't go in and quote unquote heal or cure her. She was using the technology and suddenly as she went into this experience, she saw herself in vision standing there holding hands with her birth mother and her birth father. And she turned and looked at them, let go of their hands and said, I'm not a mistake. I'm a blessing. And when she released, she turned into a butterfly and she flew away. Now, when she came out of that experience, she was different. She was liberated from something. And so think of the magic of just drilling down to understand what was there. And, you know, was that God? You know, what was that her higher self? Was that the universe? Well, I don't really care what you call it. You know, it, it doesn't matter to me. She, she had this transcendental experience where her soul was able to find a counter narrative to what was established inside of her that had haunted her for 30 years. Self-loathing and depression would all had its core and, and how she was formed in this world and how she, she was perceived and also ruminating and basking inside of those emotions of dread within her own mother. So... Here's why this is important. Marcus, going back to your example, you could you could now 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 that you're becoming more aware of these techniques and these things that you could do to make yourself feel better, you could get to work on maybe figuring out ways to possibly even forgive Marvin guy. Marvin a little yeah. bit more. <laughs> but but that's hard. The beautiful part of what we're talking about tonight and the reason why we're talking is because this is literally what Mike does. This is what you teach. This is what you practice. This is what you want the whole world to be able to discover because through hypnosis, not the stage, you know, quack like a duck hypnosis, but like through powerful uh, trips to your subconscious, you can get in there and figure out what that little thing is. It's probably a dumb little thing. It's probably a little thing where you're like, damn, I wish you wouldn't, you wouldn't have been such a shitty dad and left and then move on. But through hypnosis, you can get there, pluck that weed, and move on. And it'll, it'll, it's, it's tiny down here, right? But up here where you're at now, it's huge. It has a huge impact on your life and it will have a huge impact. And maybe you don't even know what it is yet. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know how it's going to affect you, but it will because it is a, it is a little seed and you can tell, you can see the resentment in you. So through hypnosis, Mike can take you in and only if you're willing. Right. right, so th there's I've a willingness. Able to be hypnotized before. Well, I hadn't either. We should do something about that. Mike loves hearing that. Mike put me straight in. Boom. Well, the reality of it is, um, you're the one who controls whether you go into hypnosis or not. And so, I, I can help people without hypnosis. And in fact, often I don't use hypnosis until we've done all of the rototilling first. And think about the pattern of, of you know creating a, a garden. You've got to dig everything up first, and you've got to establish what do we want to get rid of, you know, and what do we want to plant here. And so you create a blueprint. And if you're participating in that whole process, then hypnosis is a piece of cake because the average person goes into hypnosis on their own 30 times a day. Last time you were on a long road trip and you look down at the clock and you're like, where did the last hour go? Well, my friend, you were in highway hypnosis. And that's when your brainwaves slow down, you zone out, 
And that's literally what it is. And so we are, you know, on average, 30 times a day, people go in and out of hypnosis. And if you, if you haven't successfully gotten into hypnosis, either you haven't had a reason to, and if I didn't do the prep work with you correctly, you wouldn't go into hypnosis because you were dragging your feet, you know? And so, you know, I, I've seen many cases where hypnosis has created off the chart results that couldn't be explained medically. I've seen many of those cases, in fact, more than I can count. But I have also seen cases where it didn't work that seemed identical to the others. And so I've actually learned some of the dynamics that prevent someone from healing. And so I, I tried to outline that in the book, too, to, to, really, to really lay out. It's like, here's, here's the, the protocol that you can follow to create a miracle for yourself. These are the pieces that you have to understand. This is what you bring to the table. And if we can meet that together, you know, it's, it's the analogy of moving a piano. I know I can carry my side. If you carry your end of the piano, we can move it. I'll carry my end for That's sure. right. <laughs> then that means, that means free, mean, free will comes in front and center. Biggest piano you can think of, I'll carry it. Yeah, I, and I believe you. Big Marcus Wing. Yes, sir. Big guy. Big Marcus Wing. Yeah. yeah. This is powerful stuff. Um, and Mike, this is why one of the main reasons why I wanted to bring you in here because um, this is the bridge that we talk about that yeah. you talk about in your book, the Miracle Bridge. The Miracle Bridge. It's it's that's the name of the book. It's hard to find. It's sometimes it's just really hard to just fill that gap. Yeah, it's really hard to to jump that gap to make that leap and to be able to do it on your own, which is where you know your book you talk about these different practices and things that you can do to kind of lay the groundwork for a miracle to happen. Yeah. Can That's, a miracle happen by yourself? Yeah, it can. Um, however, I would, I have found most of the time that we don't know how to see what we don't know how to see. So if we are carrying around some type of an attitude or barrier, then it can prevent us from being able to get into that healing space. So we have to be able to identify what am I holding on to that's preventing me from moving forward. Can I ask you a candid question? And this you could this might be a loaded question. Oh boy. Knowing yeah. the, knowing what you know about Marcus right now, would he be able to resolve this issue of forgiving a dead guy by himself anytime soon? It would be way easier if you did it with me. Because I, I can take you there. And, you know, believe it or not, in hypnosis, you might see that dead guy. That dead guy might have something to say to you that you haven't been willing to hear before. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. He's like, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's big. Uh, <laughs> so let you me want to do this to him right now, don't you? This is where you're going. I, I'm not. I'm not trying you know, to make this happen right now. This is a very personal. I don't thing. think I could. Yeah. No, do th that. this is a very personal thing. I'm just. I'm just saying that. I'm actually excited for you. Yeah. Because I know that this is something that's always just kind of irked you. Maybe not a big deal, but it's always been a little something that, if you pull that sliver, who knows? Dave. And, and Dave sure, has decided it's time. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he has openings. <laughs> I guess I have. I'm sorry, the man. The bowling ball is <laughs> heading just, for the next pin. Here's the wrecking ball. <laughs> what do you feel though? I mean, what what is this? I mean, does this? Do you hate this? No, no, not at all. I, I've I've you know taken a whole ton away. I just man, you know, like you got to get to a point where you want to forgive. I, I can yeah. honestly say, like, I really just don't give a damn. And so here's here's the thing: like the guy doesn't mean anything to me. It, and you, and I know I'm a bad person for saying that, but 
if if I if I attempted to take him into hypnosis to forgive him, no way it would work, right? Yeah. Okay. Because we would have to, we we have to soften this ice wall into into slush before we can move into that space. Yeah. So it's not really relevant at this point. But right. you thinking about it, like today, you're going to take away from this this conversation. The fact that I did acknowledge that's probably the yeah. one person or the one thing that I yeah. can say like yeah, I'm, I'm never forgiven right. for that. But but you're taking away from that the possibility that that could be affecting you in hidden ways, and you know, so th- that's just a pebble you can take out of your shoe. Like get, there, there's a way to address this when you're ready to do it, and you know, I mean, maybe that's trivial to you, and maybe that's not a big deal. But what about the listeners out there? Who are carrying around like like really deep seated resentment towards legitimate abandonment? What are they supposed to do? Yeah, and I'm not trying to make light of it. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not I don't want people to feel like I don't know, like that I'm wrong. I can ask you a question, and you can probably express what you're trying to say. Do you agree now that there may be some upside in digging deeper and forgiving? Yes, your dad? absolutely. Sorry for calling your dad. He's Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> Marvin. Do you agree that there could be some downside in not going there? For sure. That's all that matters. I just don't know that I really have the ability right now to. You don't have to right now. You but know what I mean? it's, it's, it's knowing that it's, dude, that's like, that's like knowing that if you go to the gym tomorrow and you, and you bench X amount of weight, X amount of times that your pecs are going to get bigger. How much? I'm not that good at bench press. <laughs> Let's not talk about that right but now. But you know, there's like, there's now there's something in front of you that you can do to potentially feel better. Hell, I'm going to explore that. Yeah. I think there's the, you know, I, I'm getting from like, look, I'm living a good life. You know, I don't think this is a, a current issue. I'm a for damn me. good dad. He's a good, good dad. But this is, uh, you are all those things. But um, some, a session I had with Mike, he pointed something out. I, I had a uh, father figure in my life that I didn't realize, you know, uh, I didn't want to be like him, mm-hmm. right? So I was using, you know, kind of how I would say he has no dedication, right? No self-respect. And I was using that to fuel me to always be consistent in the gym and, you know, be this very certain type of person. And when Mike helped me through things that I didn't think were bothering me or affecting me or whatever, he helped me turn that into, instead of it be something that pushes me, right? I don't want to be like that. So I'm going to be like this. He, He was able to help me look ahead at the target and and instead i'm running towards something that i wanted yeah does that make sense instead of away from something yeah and it's not it's not like once you forgive him you're gonna you lose that fuel no but the thing i never thought of i never thought of it like that like okay you know i i know that i don't want to be like him and i know that that's part of why i i'm so consistent right but turning just that little thing from you know a vote you know not becoming like that to wanting to become like this now it was this passionate thing that I was driving toward in excitement instead of, you know, all those other feelings. It was shifting from second gear to third gear. It was. So, Marcus, even if you got something like that out of it, you know, it was awesome for me. Awesome. Remember how I said this was going to be like a three-part podcast with Mike and, yeah. you know, we'll cover a lot of ground. Are you guys cool if this becomes like a 10-part podcast? Yeah. Because we're still making a lot of progress. I want to hear about Hans's session too. So do I. And that's, yeah. we're, we're almost two hours deep right now. So yeah. what we're going to do is probably wrap this one up and then prepare for another session. Can, uh, can we wrap this up with a story? I love your stories, Mike. You can so always tell a story. This is another story in the book. And it happens to be about one of my best childhood friends. 
And so the question was, can you forgive a dead guy? And this wasn't about forgiving, but it was about healing. And so this is really important, and this demonstrates a scenario where depression can manifest. Um, so this, this friend of mine, when he was in sixth grade, his name is Phil, and I plan on having him at some point on a conversation because you'll want to hear this from his, his own experience because he got to see this from the inside. And in fact, he wrote his own story. So in the book, he, he writes it in his own words. So he talks about his experience. When he was in sixth grade, he witnessed his brother, who was his best friend, hit and killed by a, a vehicle when they were out doing Phil's uh, paper route. And it just devastated him. That, that was his best friend. And so years later, after that had happened, just mysteriously, every time we got into the month of February, he would go into a deep depression on the clock. Every year, he would go into that deep place. And that happened to be the time when he was struck by a car. When So Phil was carrying around this tremendous guilt. And so here's an example. What would keep me from healing? In his case, he was carrying around this guilt that it was his fault. I mean, after all, it was his paper route, and he, his brother wouldn't be there if he didn't invite him. So you can imagine carrying something like that with you. And then he actually dealt with it by not dealing with it. So that, that was the MO in his family. You just put it away. You don't talk about it. And so he learned how to just lock that away in the corner, and he didn't talk about it, but it started to manifest as deep depression every year in February. So when we got to this point, one day he walked in, and I'm just going to say, I mean, I don't know if this sounds corny or not, but I'm going to say it. When he walked into my office, I legitimately felt his brother walk in with him. And something like this is not that uncommon, you know, for me. I just legitimately felt that. So we went ahead and we did hypnosis. And he went, at first he was frozen. He didn't want to go over that wall, and there was this fear about, you know, going back there. And I was able to set this up in a way that we could go back to that trauma, but we could freeze it in time. And when we went back to that place, I suggested to his subconscious mind, I said, when you get back there, there's going to be something different about this experience than you remember. And so I was opening up his mind to have a perception that he didn't have when he was, you know, that 11-year-old boy. And when he went back to that experience, he was found himself back in his own shoes, standing there, and he wouldn't leave, and he was trying to find out what's going on with my brother, and he, he didn't want to walk away from his brother. And someone had his hand on his shoulder telling him, come on, son, it's going to be okay. And he, he just refused to look. And then when he turned around, that was his brother. His brother was there to greet him and to tell him, I want you to let go of this. That, you know, and on a subconscious level, he was never going to let go of that because that was the only way that he knew to hold on to his brother but happened to be tied with guilt and regret and shame and, and obviously trauma and the loss, you know, just the traumatic loss. But when he was able to have that encounter with his brother, it literally liberated him from that old story. And from that day forward, 
uh, we've had multiple Februaries since we had that experience, there is no more depression. So for him, the depression was just that internal clock that, that just kept hitting on that thing. And, you know, and it was interesting with Phil, like for him to show the courage to share his story in my book, it meant a lot to me because he's, he's a close friend of mine. And he, he, his MO was to deal with it by not dealing with it. And for him to have the courage to come out and say, you know what, this changed my life. Well, him sharing that story will show everyone else, you know, I wonder if someone else out there is holding on to something like that, that unnecessarily. Right. And, and so that's the time when we want to say, hey, how about we go in and we prune those things and we cut back some of those things we're holding on to that, that isn't necessary. And one step beyond that, we can forgive a dead guy. You know, it, it's really about intention, and it's really just about, you know, moving to that next place where, where we're less encumbered by some of those things from the past that we no longer want to be dragging around with us. And in this case, we can receive forgiveness from a dead guy. That's right. Yeah, it goes both ways, and I've seen it. I have seen it both ways. That's, um, so as somebody who, who lost my dad you know, 13 years ago, um, you know, I feel like we had, we didn't really have any unfinished business. We died, he died on great terms, but it's powerful to know that if there were an issue, if something came up that I could still work that out with him. Yeah. And he would want to do that. You know, it's not like they go somewhere else. Like they're very poignantly aware of what's going on here. And, you know, we can just throw it out here. You brought up Bruce. You know, Bruce is a, he's a close friend of mine. He was once a client of mine. And I helped him to shed some, some emotional baggage that was really encumbering her, him. And when we were finished, I learned that Bruce had this uncanny ability that he's able to see into the next world. He's essentially a seer. He is a seer. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't have a veil over his mind, if that makes sense. He, he's, he can see. But he's, here's the best part about Bruce and what I love about him. He looks like us. He's yeah. a real estate broker. He's yeah. not a seer by profession. He doesn't go around selling his services as a seer. This is just a gift that he has that he didn't really know what to do with. Yeah. So if I asked him, how was this person who died feeling? He'd, he'd say, well, he's, he's upset. Like he would, be, he would literally see him. And so he, he can just look into the next room like I can look across this, this table here. And I've actually partnered up with him. You know, when I'm working with really difficult cases, uh, with such as suicide, you know, I'll bring him in and because he can bring a perspective that we don't have to guess, you know, and so it's really interesting because it's just another way to, to help someone see a perspective that we normally can't see. And, you know, so, you know, if you're ever interested, he would be a really good guest to bring on and to talk about how we can interact with each other, he and I, when we're helping someone, because it's, uh, it, it turns into an interesting dynamic. I think we should bring Bruce in for the next session. I think it's about, about that time. Um, and the reason why I say that is when we invited Bruce to my session, we didn't really know how or why. We just wanted yeah. him there to see, you know, if something came up, yeah. if he saw anything. Turns out he saw all kinds of really cool stuff, and, and there was a moment where um, we all got super emotional, and Mike looked at me, and he's like, dude, you made Bruce emotional. Like, he, this guy doesn't get emotional like a he's seeing something pretty powerful. And then Bruce continued to explain something super, super sacred and powerful. Um, and it was, it was a cool experience. So I think we'll, we will have him here. Yeah. Um, so guys, like I said, Mike, we're just getting started with you. Um, you are a, uh, you are a wealth of knowledge and information and um, practical skills is what I love the most. So 
If you guys have made it this far into our conversations with Mike, I would strongly suggest you go get his book, um, The Miracle Bridge, because it's going to help kind of tie together all these different conversations we've been having, yeah. explain all the different techniques and modalities and, and different things that you do. It's a manual. You know, I, sure. I, I put, so there was a time I couldn't keep up with the demand and I just felt really impressed that I needed to write this down. And if I can't meet with someone one-on-one, -on -one, read the book, yeah. you know, and Bruce's story is the final chapter of the book, by the way. And that's, you'll, you'll explain how I came up with the name of the book. Um, Bruce, Bruce helped me with that. Bruce helped me with some content that still needed to be in the book. And the toothpick and the tire, by the way, was one of those stories that Bruce helped me figure out that it needed to be in there because it so powerfully illustrates that, that point of yeah. perception as reality. I love it, man. Um, do you guys have any questions before I wrap it up? Um, lots to think about for all of us. I know I can see the wheel spinning in Marcus's head for sure. Um, it's, uh, it's cool because this is everybody. It's not just us. Everybody who's listening to this is like, damn. I had that that experience. I have that moment. I have that thing that maybe it is, maybe it is something I should you know take a look back at and, and make sure it's all cleared up. Yeah. So, um, guys, obviously, forgiveness is a powerful tool. Um, I dare say it's one of the most powerful tools because it's like the first tool we should use. Um, because you can't get very far if you are not forgiving people and if you're not. Um, seeking forgiveness. Um, that's kind of the step one to, to healing and getting over some of the trauma and, 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 you know, different stresses and things that you've gone through. So, um, the checklist item for tonight is just going to be look, dig deeper into forgiveness. Are you doing it correctly? Uh, that's, that's kind of a vague term, but are you trying? Um, and are you really trying dig deeper? Yeah. Dig deeper because there's, there's more, there's more that you can give. Um, and so with that said, go out and get the Miracle Bridge book. It's on Amazon. Um, we can, we'll put a link to it in the show notes here. And, uh, man, I'm looking forward to the next uh, the next podcast with you, Mike, because this is powerful stuff. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you.